Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome, Kristen Valerius, to the show. I am really thrilled that she's here with us because we are going to be talking about a really, really important topic about one that I feel like pretty much every family that I know struggles with and feels guilt over and has a hard time understanding why it's so hard. And so I'm here excited today because I feel like Kristen is going to give us so much insight as to why this is such a big struggle for us. And the topic du jour is screens for ourselves and for our kids. So Kristen, will you start by just telling us kind of who you are, what you do professionally, what you're about and kind of what your mission is? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. This is Really fun to chat with you and and all your listeners. So I am a child psychologist. I work with young kids on up to probably early college age, but I do a lot of work with parents one-on-one to try and help them be their best selves. I manage a clinic with about 17 other providers and we work from birth through geriatrics. So the whole lifespan, providing psychological services and the medication management and assessment services and all of that. And then I have three kids of my own. So I am a COVID quarantine warrior and and now I'm a homeschooler and we're just all wearing all of these hats right now, aren't we? Yes, my goodness. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's making it it's making it challenging. <laughs> it but is. yes, we're all doing it. Mm-hmm. So, and we have not had any screen time battles at all at our house with three kids and not even anymore now that COVID's going on. It's, I'm just kidding. It's been kind of <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yes. All of the rules have changed on us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even the American Academy, it's funny because when I was writing this book that's going to come out next spring on helping moms to navigate the working world and be really strong for their kids. And there's a whole section on screen time with kids because of course I care a ton about just child development and making kids thrive. And they said, well, I don't know, we might have to put something kind of slightly different in here because of COVID because who knows where we're going to be on it, you know? Right. And I thought, yes, except for the fact that like the principles still hold true. Whatever we're going to say to parents about how they think about screens, I think that always holds true. And like when they need to be reevaluating, okay, how are screens infiltrating my entire world or my child's entire world and making it so that they can't function in a way that's healthy? So, yeah. With that though, Whitney, one thing to think about is I'm realizing having sat with so many families through this coronavirus stuff and the way that changed screens. There is a piece of the advice about screens that is also about using it to excess from the majority of kids. 
that when we would talk about screens in the past and say, don't use this much and don't do it this way, it's because there are important normative experiences that happen. And if you're only doing screens, you miss out. But when the entire peer base has switched and they're on Hangouts and they're on like house party, there's something about that that is different than when those kids are out foraging in the woods and going to the parking, having play dates, and you're missing out because you're just on a screen. So I do think there are aspects that have shifted now that the entire world is surviving on technology in a way that we never did before to connect us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there are some things, A, you just can't get away from with distance learning, right? We're going to have a lot of our kids this year needing to be on screens and needing to interact with them in a different way than they did before. Maybe they were passively watching shows and like playing some video games that they play over and over and over. Now they're having to actually use like technological skills, (laughs) which... I I never right. for a moment was worried that my kids were going to be technologically savvy, but now I'm really not worried about that. <laughs> and then <laughs> no, they're over here. The <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. You know, there's a lot of social get-togethers that are happening online and that need to, mm-hmm. and there aren't as many outside, like you said, normative experiences that kids are missing out on because there's just not as much to do. There aren't alternatives right now in many ways. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say, I mean, thank goodness for the summer. Thank goodness for the right. warmer weather. That I definitely have been encouraging my kids and my patients. Like, okay, in Oregon, when the rain was here and there was literally nowhere to go, I get it. And I think that was so fine. And now that the sun is shining, will you please just walk around the block a couple times totally. in between your screen time experiences? Absolutely. And I yeah. think teachers are going to be really aware of the need for that. And our, the teachers I'm talking to and the schools I've talked to are really trying to build those movement breaks into their curriculum. So hopefully we'll have support on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. So about a year ago, I would say you and I sat down and had a discussion about a lot of things related to kids, but we, we had a discussion around screens that was really eye-opening for me and made me think about screen use in a totally different way. And so I would love it if you would share with listeners about Gene Twenge's work and about kind of what we know about how human brains and bodies end up sometimes using screens in a way that is unhealthy and why it happens. Because I'm just such a firm believer and if we know why something happens, then it's easier for us to change behavior and to also have grace for ourselves in the moment when it's not going the way we want it to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so when I talk about screens, I like to couch it that it's not about this device or the Xbox, or whatever tech device your kid is using or you are using. It's really more about a cultural shift that happened a ways back and how that's kind of permeated all of the things we do and affected the way we parented. So I usually start with an example of when we were kids and we were going on a road trip We had to do a bunch of stuff to survive that. And I bet my mom was like having panic attacks at the rest stop because we were driving her crazy, but she didn't have a lot of options. So Mm -hmm. often they did stuff like, what do you remember as a kid when you were on a road trip? Yeah, you'd be reading books. Your parents would be doing car games where you'd be like, how many blue cars can you spot? You know, 
alphabet yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. Pitch your sibling whenever you saw a beetle, you know, bug, yeah, like bug, car, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And why did they invent those games? Because there was not a lot of alternative. And so we had to fill in the gaps of this white space, this dead space where there wasn't any alternatives. I am sure that my mom would have loved to give each one of us kids a personalized entertainment pod that had only the music we loved, only the games that we loved, had headphones that they didn't even have to hear their brother and sister's mouth breathing anymore so that we could survive this. My mom would have loved that. It just didn't exist. And so, but now fast forward as parents, we have so many options for our kids that really will in the moment make them feel better. And as a result, I think they don't have to hold some of the discomfort of that dead space, that white space of like, I'm bored, I'm frustrated, I'm arguing, I am worried, and I'm just left with my thoughts. And so there's this shift where we can do a lot of things so much easier than we used to, like Stitch Fix, right? If I don't know what I want to wear and what my style is, I just have someone send me a little box every month or like school supplies right now, Amazon. I cannot believe how frequently they're coming and bringing me little goodies and I can just get them at a moment's notice, right? So kids don't always have to go run errands and I can do it so much quicker and more convenient. And as a mom, I am loving that, right? That's fantastic. Right. But I think what's happened is from an early age up through adolescence, kids has, have missed out on the opportunity to practice a bunch of little experiences that build their t- distress tolerance. So these like micro frustrations, you know, I call my friend, their phone is busy. Now I have to wait until I can call them again. I try, but mom's on the phone. So I got to wait for her to get off on the phone. I got to remember that I had a goal to call my friend. And it was annoying. And I love being able to leave a voicemail or shoot a text. But that practice and holding that delayed gratification, that frustration, that lack of immediacy, that shift has affected a thousand experiences that our kids do every single day. And that shift, I think, is part of the biggest reason why we're seeing our kids struggle and how technology has worked its way in. So it's not just about game time or things like that. It's also about how are they living in their world with spaces that are open or white dead space? How do they handle frustrations? How do they have to delay and wait for things that they want to happen and not have it happen immediately. And those things, I think, have led to a real shift for our generation. It's kind of like going from a farming world to the industrial revolution. Like it's just rewired everything. So -hmm. that's where the research from Gene Twinge hit spot on what I was seeing in my clinical practice. And Jean Twin, she's a fascinating researcher. So she has started back from Gen Xers, which I'm a Gen Xer, and then we got millennials, 
And we got this new generation, Gen iGen or Gen Y or whatever's coming in, whatever they call it. And <laughs> and right, letter. Yep. right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we can't decide yet. I like iGen, but I think I'm losing that battle. So she would look at adolescent well-being in middle school and high school for kids since this Gen X era and be like, how do you feel about life? You know, how do you feel about your peer group? How do you feel about your family, the, the country, different things? And all along, it was kind of this like fl- little wave, this teeny wave from Gen X through millennials about the same. And then what we find is right around early 2000s was when all of a sudden these measures of kids' well-being, actually, let me clarify that. It's kids who were born in the early 2000s that are coming of age around 2012, 2013, right? So when she's talking to these adolescents, like she's always talked for 20 years and asked them, how are you guys doing? How's life for you? All of a sudden, their life responses tanked and they were not doing well and they didn't feel optimistic and hopeful and their self-esteem was much lower. And they were kids who just started to be born right after the turn of the millennium. So then we're thinking, well, what's that all about? Well, around 2012, 2015 is when the iPhone smartphones had about, by 2015, we had 73% representation in the population of people who had iPhones or smartphones. So we went from it being a minority that had smartphones to by far the majority in that developmental period of those kids coming of age. So that's that rewiring that happened all from right after 2000 on up into their middle school years. So then she also had always correlated, asked them, how do you spend your time? What do you do? Do you spend it with friends? Do you go to church? Do you like read magazines or books? And she also found that all of the in-person activities sports and exercise, social interaction, religious services, reading actually print material instead of online Mm -hmm. reading, and even doing homework. All of those things were positively associated with well-being and all of the other more virtual things, TV, video chat, texting, social media, those were negatively associated with well-being. So when you look at the the cultural shifts that happen and the ways that kids spend their time and how that influenced how kids were feeling about their life, it shows up that there's a real strong connection between how much we're in our world as real people and how much we feel good about the life we're living and about our ourselves, our self-esteem. Really kind of shocking. Yeah. And makes so much sense when you observe kids, honestly, (laughs) when, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I mean, there are a ton of factors that made it so that my kids were not their best selves at the beginning of COVID, but, you know, were able to be their best selves. But for sure, one factor was that for a little while, as we were trying to figure ourselves out and figure, you know, they just had more screens, screen time than normal. I mean, it just happened. Like I think for everybody, you know, just a ton. And as people went like, okay, this will just be like a one or two week thing. I'm just going to kind of like bag it for a little while. And holy cow, the behavior, like Mm. it just escalated in terms of 
off the charts in terms of their neediness, in terms of their aggression toward each other, in terms of their impatience. And, you know, I am, as a pediatrician, just like psychologists are, right? A big believer in like kids do the best they can when they can, except when they can't. And that like, right. Right. When when kids are acting that way all the time that I'm like that there's something going on. Like I got to figure out what it is and and really when it came down to it we ended up doing a big screen time detox for them like a month in where we're like okay you guys one time a week movie night and otherwise uh-huh. y'all are cut off. Now we got like a nanny in there. We got some like structure. If it's not school related then it's like not, not happening. doing it. Yeah. Yeah, not to be legalistic about it, but just because I saw, especially for my older kiddo who is high needs and gets really anxious Mm. already and Mm. gets really emotional and has a lower tolerance for discomfort, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it was making it worse for her. And I felt like understanding that information that you just shared with me helped me more quickly turn it around for our family in that moment. Right. And also to like give her grace, like, of course she's unable now Mm -hmm. to handle small frustrations because Mm -hmm. understandably for like, you know, two or three weeks, she never practiced it. Right. Not only didn't practice it, but her brain. So we've got these power, this pathway in our brain where this chemical dopamine is released and dopamine is like your feel good, juice in your brain. So when you do things you love, you get dopamine. When you snuggle your baby, you get dopamine. When you win or succeed at something or accomplish, check it off your list, you get dopamine. Well, tech now really is aimed at the best way to release dopamine. It's, it's, that's why we love it. And so you level up and you get points and it's, it's sparkly and visually interesting and you watch one short video and it's short enough that you don't have to have any fatigue in watching it. It's just interesting mm-hmm. and curious. And then immediately the next thing comes that's like, well, if you like that, then watch this. And so it's like sitting around eating a bunch of chocolate cake all day. Like in the moment, it tastes good, but it doesn't give some other really needed stuff. And then when you peel off the chocolate cake, you don't really want to eat broccoli and you don't really want to eat chicken. And so then you don't feel so good. Yeah, so understandable. And I feel like understanding this information has been helpful for me personally. And as I talk to other moms too, as we deal with our own screen time use. Absolutely. <laughs> so I don't know how, you, how you've seen that show up for the moms and dads that you work with, but I know you must be talking with them a bit about their own screen use too, and just being curious about how that's playing a role in their relationships as a family and with their kids. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is one of the big sneakers and why I talk so much more about culture and so much Mm -hmm. more. Actually, I think the key to, to screen times is not really how much our kids are using. It's how comfortable we as parents are in not having the convenience of tech and of modifying our own rhythms around immediacy, simplicity, and having no white space. And if we get Mm -hmm. comfortable with that and we can let white space happen, because when we give our kids white space, what are they going to do with it? 
we know they're going to be like, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. I, they're going right. to go hit their sister. They're going to go, right? It's not going right. to be pretty for us if we don't keep them right. eating chocolate cake. And so, but right. we have to survive that detox that you probably did in order mm-hmm. to get to the other side of what else fills in that gap. And yeah. getting through that phase is really punishing sometimes to moms. So we have to mm-hmm. think about how we use our space and we have to think about getting ready for when our kids are like, you know, bored and not sure what to do. And we need to get something done. And we really just want them to be occupied so we can focus our brains. And finding solutions for that takes a lot of brainstorming and a lot of strategizing. So that is something that we're talking about a lot. But it kind of ultimately Mm -hmm. starts with our comfort around that shift. Hi, Mama. Guess what? Our book, The New Baby Blueprint, is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, they say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. And I think interestingly too, for moms, like, I think there's a whole cultural thing for moms around like, I'm so busy. I check all these things off my list. I go to all these places. I have all these activities. I go to this exercise class and I do, I mean, less so with COVID, but like I go here, I go there, I go there. Oh my gosh. Oh, things are just so hectic for our family. (laughs) Like that's almost like a prize (laughs) in American culture. If you're like the busiest person out there. Well, even once it all got taken away, then it was like, all the things I'm doing at COVID, I'm breaking, baking sourdough bread, I'm cleaning out my closet. Right. So like, I still got to be busy, even though there's no reason to be busy. Yeah, exactly. And to me, that means that's just a an interesting observation that I've had for others and for myself. So no judgment here, because I hey. totally felt it too. Yeah. Or I thought, I think I, I need to be busy all the time because I'm not okay with just being with myself like a little bored or with nothing to do. Like, I, I don't know what to do when I have white space by mm-hmm. myself. I need to pick up a book. I need to go call a friend. I got to send an email. And and so I am not perfect at this at all, but I have been working toward, mm. like, how can I create then just more mindfulness around what am I feeling right now? What do I actually need? Mm. And like, can I take like three minutes where I literally just sit here and don't do anything? Or where I'm not multitasking. Right. Like when yeah. I have some teens, 13, I have 11, 13, and 17 in my house. So they want to stay up super late. So I'm trying to, you know, when I'm done with work, trying to spend my bonding time, we're watching TV. Often it's not the highest quality TV in my mind. Yep. It's like teenage appealing TV is sort of, you know, repetitive, I'll just say. <laughs> so I get bored, I get restless, and the desire to be like, watch, get on my phone, watch, get on my phone, watch, get on my phone. And to just sit there and do one thing and let yeah. one thing be enough for my brain. So sometimes yeah. it's that I think we're kind of avoiding that alone time with ourselves, that time to check mm-hmm. in. Like I'm afraid to be with myself and nothing else. Sometimes I think it's just that dopamine has kind of addicted us to the like constant multitasking. Like our brain's like, I only got one thing going on. Give me some more. Give me some more. 
And that doesn't let our brain just settle in to some of the like depth thought to some of the conversation that happens. I mean, we've, we've been guilty of on commercial breaks. I look over and four of us are on a device and I'm like, wait a minute, when did we start doing this? (laughs) No, that's true. We went to a beach cabin, like, I don't know, three weeks ago and stayed and, and there was no internet and all there was, was like a DVD player. So you know, with great. 1990s movies. <laughs> and so the kids went to bed. Yeah. And it's me and my husband and we're there and I'm like, he puts it on and it's not even a movie I really care that much about, but it's just, we're supposed, we're just, just spending there. some what time together. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I'm like pacing the room and Scott goes, would you sit down and I go, I know it's just like, normally I do work while I'm watching movies and like, I can't do any work on my computer. And I'm just, and he's like, yeah, exactly. It's a vacation. Chill out. You know? Right. <laughs> I know. It's so, those guys, they only do one thing usually in their brain. My husband's not a great multitasker and I'm like, you know, incessantly multitasking. So it's a little easier for them. Maybe I think. We, yeah. we joke that he's at, at the end of the day, they're still hunters and we're still gatherers. And hunting is a very like one focus kind of thing. And gathering is like very multi. So easy for him to say that hunter sitting on the couch <laughs> watching the movie. You hadn't gathered that day. hard, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was a good like reflection, right? Self-reflection. Yeah. Like, yeah, man. Holy cow, it's hard to single task. It is really hard to single task. It is. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Some of the I saw a few articles on this and I am hoping they're gonna do more in-depth research. But at the beginning, especially they were talking about like as the data out of China first happened after their quarantine, they were looking at adjustment rates and coping skills. And there was this finding that people who focused more like tried to cope by mindfulness, like relaxation and meditation and kind of some of those things that are so big for our culture right now. We're like mindfulness, 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 because it's so helpful. Mm -hmm. Usually that didn't help as much. The concept they were finding was helpful. They called flow. And it's like getting into an activity that you do kind of immersively and for a sustained period of time. Usually it's like Mm -hmm. hobbies, but not always. So like when you're gardening, when you're painting, when you're like thoroughly cleaning, as long as you're not doing it in a crazy stressy way, but you're like, Ooh, I'm going to embrace the opportunity to like really go through this, you know, picture drawer that I just stuff a bunch of things in and I'm just in the Mm -hmm. moment and that to really be in a single task, that's flow. And people who had flow activities in their days or weeks actually adjusted better than people who were just trying to be mindful. That's really cool and encouraging, actually. I mean, that means my like, you know, I don't want to be shishi, but my like Peloton sessions at my in my garage <laughs> with, uh, you know, Cody Rigsby. Like, I'm like, yes, I'm listening to the Britney Spears. I am in it. I'm not focusing on anything else. <laughs> that, those are the times where I feel the best, you know, like, or you're doing that, or I mean, of course, exercise has its own dopamine hit. Or right, yeah, when I'm gardening, or yeah, deep organizing a closet, but not in a. I got to get to this next thing afterward. Yeah, or just like, oh yeah, I got an hour for this. 
<laughs> All right, good. Whitney, you're kind of flexing on me because exercise <laughs> was not a flow I was very successful at in quarantine. <laughs> but I will say, I'll tell you what, I work, I, I picked up watercolors. I started doing oh, watercolors awesome. that I had never done. And I, that's flow for me. That's a lot of flow. You guys, she's showing me, she's showing me this like really beautiful watercolor painting that she did. I'm actually really impressed by that. That's awesome. It's really now, not hard. Know, it, I took an online class <laughs> and then they told me how to do this. That's amazing. You know, the thing about exercise is I think exercise can be a great like flow activity or mm -hmm, activity that totally. brings you like a ton of joy as long as, and I guess I want to say this clearly, like for mamas who are listening, as long as it's not this like punishment thing right. that we're doing to our bodies or this thing that's like another regimented deal to do. We went on vacation this week and, you know, a little staycation and I signed up for the little exercise classes and I did not go to one of them because <laughs> I, <laughs> I was sleeping in and like making pancakes with my kids and in a flow, like right. not to give other things. And so- Look at your progress yeah. from the cabin till I now. Know. You went from pacing I, to sleeping in and doing pancakes. I know. Look at this. I know. I'm not perfect, but holy cow, work in progress, right? Like recovering Amen. perfectionist. Right, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, so what are some things that moms can do to help set their kids and themselves up for a positive relationship with screens. We talked just about a, like the awareness mm -hmm. around like, is this working culture. for my, is this working for my family? And like the awareness of the culture. Mm -hmm. But I've heard you talk also about like outside of the screens too, the importance of if sometimes we're using the screens because it makes us feel good and it makes it so we don't have to have as much tolerance for discomfort mm -hmm. or for kind of dealing with our own emotions, this concept of then we also need to like replace the screens in some ways with people who care about us, mm -hmm. with relationships where people can see, accept us, our weaknesses and our strengths. Can you talk about that piece? Like what could be in place of it or what are some strategies people could use? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is helping our kids expand their idea of what they can do with themselves. Right? Yeah. Because if they've been really busy, they've gone to school, they've had some after school activities, they've had, you know, constant play dates and stuff, that muscle of spending time with yourself has been underworked for them too. They're pacing the room just like we are, you know? Yep. So helping them brainstorm, like, what can I do with myself? So we had to do a lot of try this, try that, try this, try that. And then I mm -hmm. was working harder at that than they were with all the try this and I was getting shot down. So then we got to let them be like, well, I don't know what you're going to do then and be okay with letting them spin their wheels because they're going to say it won't work. I can't do this. It's horrible. I'm fight fighting with my sister, blah, blah, blah. But then often they will push through and they'll find something and they'll be like, oh, I haven't done this in forever. Or, oh, that wound up yeah. being really fun. And so we got to wait yes. through that process of distress and be okay with yeah. it ourselves. That's one thing. But then the other thing is, I really do think, especially in what we're headed into with online schooling, that we've got to find ways to plan routine, schedule, flow, and social engagement. 
And so mm-hmm. I'm talking to a lot of families about who can you connect your kiddo with in this time. And mm-hmm. that's complicated with quarantine and stuff. But, you know, obviously grandparents, family, relatives, that's important if that's complicated with coronavirus. But mm-hmm. there's ways we've all discovered masks and hand washing and, you know, so there's ways you can connect. But I do think that doing learning with other kids is helpful because then when there is white space around learning, they can socialize with each other instead of trying to fill that time with a screen because what do I do in 20 minutes? It's harder to get into flow. And so I have a recess by myself Unless moms are like, okay, I'm going to structure that whole thing for you, which is tricky if we're working. Yes, I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. (laughs) I know, right? It's so hard. But then they can have each other. And so we're getting a couple kids together at my house one day, a couple kids together at their house one day. And the, the moms have all agreed that during the school hours, there will be no screens. We're just going to check in. Anything they come with is going to go in a phone box, much to my 13-year-old's terror. She was devastated and infuriated, but that's awesome. And so there will be no screens. So you have to like go outside. You have to wrestle. You have to color. You have to make up a play. You have to like do a human pyramid. I don't know. And for some kids, those relationships are really easy to identify who those kids, those partners should be. For other kids, it's not easy to identify who those partners should be. But what I'm finding Mm -hmm. is all families are hungry for it. And so parents who were like hesitant to ask for it, they ask and the the other person is like, yes, yes, I want to do this. And not all kids will be able to do their learning with someone else for maybe health reasons or family setup reasons or for special needs reasons, right? There are certain Mm -hmm. kids who one-on-one or one-on-three will have a hard time doing the online school next to a peer. And that's okay, Mm -hmm. but you can still plan out how to structure some social connection because socialization is really what facilitates learning. Even if you're a homeschool family, usually you're planning being out and about in the community so that your kids are having engagement. So it's not just all nose to books, nose to books, or nose to computer, nose to computer, nose to computer. Right. Yeah. Is that some of the stuff you're so talking about, good. Whitney? Yeah, no, I I love it. I think those are such good messages right now because I think people are confused about like how much does socialization matter? Do I really need that? It, is the pod okay? Should I do? And I think, you know, as pediatricians that we've felt this whole time, like when people come in and go, Am I, is my kid going to lose out on socialization as a result of coronavirus? Like, yes. Yes. 100%. Will that cause problems for them? Yeah. Yes. Is it like irreparable? No. But it, would it be better for them to figure out creative ways to get them with other kids? Because we know, like, my kids, I could tell them till I'm blue in the face how to be a good friend. Mm-hmm. Just me to them, to their sibling. They get out with the other kids and the other kids teach them by saying like, sorry, dude, that's not going to fly. <laughs> right. Why are you always doing that? Exactly. And they learn within minutes. I mean, yeah. 
It is crazy how our kids learn from other kids and from the feedback that they get from other other children. So super important. And then I think also to your point about like, it's okay to be bored. I remember my mom, she worked from home when I was little and we'd come home from school and we'd come home and immediately be like, I'm bored. And my mom would go, boredom is a choice. Go find something to do. I mean, totally. I, I still remember it. It yep. was hardcore, but I'm pretty creative as a result of it now. You know, yeah. I, I, I figured out what to do with my time. And I do think our kids, like we do not have to helicopter parent our kids in a way that like we are constantly providing them activities over and over and they will be stronger if we let them sometimes not all they can't figure it out all the time but sometimes in that white space I 100% agree with you that they have to kind of figure it out for themselves and problem solve yeah how they're going to fill their time or be creative one of my favorite Christianisms is we don't want kids who don't struggle We want kids who know they can handle the struggle. And what sometimes we act like is we don't want kids who don't struggle. We want kids who know that we can handle their struggles. That's not going to help them. If I have all the ideas in the world of how to spend time and I like structure every little fun moment and activity so that I'm really good at filling their white space, that didn't help them figure out how they can fill it. Absolutely. Kristen, this has been so great. Will you tell people about your organization, about where they can find you in the on the web space, yeah, in the web, yeah, on the internet? Out there in the tech world. So I am the director of Sunstrom Clinical Services. So sunstromclinic.com. I'm going to spell it because that Sunstrom's not super easy. S is in Sam, U, N is in Nancy, D is in dog, S is in Sam, T is in Terry, R, O, M is in Mary. So sunstromclinic.com. And we have a bunch of fabulous providers. We have a, a whole ped side and a whole adult side. We do couples work and individual adult work and testing and kids, parent, child, sib, sib, all that kind of stuff. And we're doing We are fully open for telehealth, which was a massive tech shift in my life. But it's, believe it or not, it's been working. You can do really good therapy online. And so they can find us there. We're located in West Lynn area. So right off 205. So we can get the Clackamas folks and the Tualatin Sherwood folks and Wilsonville and Lake Oswego and beyond. But right now, I've got people all over the state because they can get to me via telehealth. So, Yeah, for sure. And such a great resource. She's talking about in the Portland, Oregon area. And so for those of you who are listening who aren't in Oregon. Do forget that we're all over here, Whitney. Yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And you can still, you know, look them up to see because it'll give you a good example of even if you're looking somewhere else within the States, what a good clinic setup would be, what Mm -hmm. the type of people are you might be looking for. And then also you guys remember that at the end of the month, we have our navigating children, navigating, regulating children's big emotions online program that's coming out. And so you can access that too. Yeah. Cause we all know we can do all this preventative work with the screens, but then sometimes our kids are still going to really have a hard time. So, I mean, honestly, if you don't navigate the big emotions, you aren't going to regulate screens, period. They, it, the the exactly. first must happen before the second can survive. For sure. Thanks so much for being here. It's, it's been awesome. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Whitney. 
You guys, it is here. Our new programs have landed. They're at modernmommydoc.com. We're so excited about them because we've just been thinking about how could we provide more accessible, digestible information for mamas out there who really want to elevate their motherhood experience. And so we have four programs now at Modern Mommy Doc. The first is taking care of you and your newborn which is all about helping to prepare yourself or taking care of yourself and your baby in the first month of life. And then parenting in partnership, which is about how to work as a team with a co-parent to really make sure that you are on the same page and working strongly together and making the best possible environment for your kiddos to thrive. The third is the Mama Reset at home retreat, which is really cool. It is a collection of experts who are there to provide you with a chance to reconnect with yourself, to recenter, to think about what you want and your motherhood experience, but then also to give you some practical applications within the actual time we have together. So opportunities for journaling, for gentle movement, for learning all about nutrition, really hands-on practical applications, but then also a chance to have some mindfulness there in the moment. And then finally, navigating and regulating children's big emotions, which we know is a big one for mamas. We're all still working on that one. And so we are providing in that program a lot of extra help about how to take care of our own emotions as we parent, and then also how to meet kids where they are and use really evidence-based strategies to help our kids understand their emotions, to name their emotions, and then also when their emotions just get too big for them, how to help to calm their nervous systems and how to help them become the 35-year-olds that we hope that they will be. I hope you guys will join me. You can go to modernmommydoc.com for more information.